Father, thank you for your incredible word. And I do pray that you would speak to each of us today. Amen. Well, today we are finishing our series in 1 Samuel. And we've been largely focusing on Samuel himself, but today we're going to focus on David, the new king that Samuel has gone and anointed in private. He's done this because the first king he anointed, Saul, was no good. And it's not going to be long before Saul is phased out and David is going to be the king of Israel. Now, David is a massively popular Bible character, um, and if you've been in church at all over the years, you will know that David had massive ups and downs in his life. And I think he's so popular because he does have big ups and downs, and most of us can relate to that. I mean, if you're ever worried about whether you're a good enough Christian or not, the answer is, you are not, nobody is. And the answer with David, as we look at this wonderful man of God, is that he made some epic failures. I mean, come on, he sees that beautiful woman, she's so attractive, and he goes and sleeps with her, and then he's like, uh-oh, I know, her, her husband, who's actually away fighting for my army while I've been sleeping with his wife, I'll get him to come back for a bit so that he'll think if she gets pregnant that it's his kid. So he gets her husband to come back from the battlefield. And because this guy's a really good guy, he says, all my other fellow soldiers aren't being allowed home at this time. I will not go into the bedroom with my wife. And this honourable guy doesn't fulfil what David hopes will happen. And so do you know what David does next? He puts that guy right at the front of the battle so he gets killed. I mean, that is pretty awful. I don't know how your week's gone, whether you feel you've messed up this week. I don't know how it would compare to that kind of level of messing up. Um, I've messed up this week, but I kind of feel like it's less than that kind of messing up. I don't know. Anyway, but the point is that within God's economy, we all mess up. The reason David still ends up as a hero, despite his epic messes, is that when people confront him and when the Holy Spirit convicts him of his mess, he takes it and he says, sorry. That is the difference between someone who gets to be a hero and part of God's kingdom forever and someone who doesn't. The difference is saying, I'm sorry, I messed up. Change me, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And David does this, and he does get punished for what he's done, but he does this, and God takes his life and continues to use it. And so in Acts chapter 13, we get this lovely verse in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, where it says that um, after Saul was removed, David was made their king, and God says this about David. He said, I found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do the things I want him to do. And David is honoured throughout his life as being this man 
man who has a heart like God's. And so often, and most of the stories we hear about him, we see this coming through. And today, we see this coming through in this incredible story of this fight with Goliath. Now, I don't know uh, what your Goliaths have been this week. I've been away helping to run a big conference for church leaders. So my Goliath has been 2,000 church leaders who all have really strong and different opinions. Um, At home, though, my wonderful husband has been doing childcare And his Goliath this week has been World Book Day costumes. Um, I don't know how long World Book Day has been going for, but um, you have to dress up your kids as characters in books. And and normally I would do that. And and so I think our kids went as football players and it was a quick trip to Sports Direct for football kit. But anyway... um, And then they took in the little footballs. I don't know what your Goliaths are, but here David faces Goliath, this massive giant of a man. In fact, he was so big. I've got my tape measure. It tells us in the first verses that it was about, it's a little footnote in your Bible, about three meters. So I think this is maybe going out to Rupert. I don't know, Rupert, come and help me. Let's see, this is a three-metre tape measure. Keep going, Rupert. Don't bump into a chair, though. Brilliant. So there we go. So this epic... I know it's hard to imagine it, isn't it? Like, the right way round. I think it's about the length of the rude screen. But imagine that giant of a man coming towards you. I don't know how we do this now, Rupert. I'm scared of um, pinging your fingers. I might, just, I might just leave it with you. There you go. <laughs> Huge. But do you know only two verses in the text actually deal with his fight with this giant? The rest give us a glimpse into what it means to be a man who's after God's heart. And so this morning, I'm just going to raise very quickly for us three things that will help us to be men and women who are God's who are after God's heart. So, firstly, I think to be a man or woman who's after God's heart, you firstly and we and I firstly need to understand that we are loved and chosen. We need to know that we are God's to face the giants that we will come across in our lives. So, For David, he understands that God loved him, that God had chosen him. He'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel, and so God was with him. Today, do you know that you are loved by God? You are chosen by God, and you can have the Holy Spirit that is God with you. The knowledge of this is key to our effectiveness as God's people here on earth today. David knew it. And even though in the natural he was a handsome but puny young man kind of person he's described at, even though in the natural he was that, he could win against the seasoned soldier Goliath because he knew he was loved by God, he was chosen by God, and he was anointed by God. And so, of course, Goliath was a goner. He knew If you were here last week, you'd have heard Craig preaching. If you didn't, do catch up online. Craig said something really important last week. He said, God qualifies 
the disqualified. You see, all of David's bigger and stronger brothers ended up being rejected as future king, and God chose David. Why? Because he knew and pictured and saw the heart of David was turned towards him. And so God qualified him. So often in life, I walk around, and I know it because I know it myself, but I know it when I talk to to everybody that I meet pretty much, is that, you know, so many of us walk around thinking we're not particularly special. We don't particularly have anything to offer. Perhaps we don't have a distinctive talent. Perhaps we're just pretty average in the grand scheme of things. And so we have a tendency to disqualify ourselves when actually God qualifies us. God qualifies us. God says, you are the apple of my eye. God says, I have made you in my image. God says, I have plans for you. And actually, the only thing you need to be qualified is my stamp of loving approval. And guess what? I'm waiting to give it to all who turn to me. Craig also said that we often disqualify those that are closest to us because we've also already disqualified ourselves. That resonated with me a little bit last week and challenged me. It's so easy, isn't it, not to be totally for the people we know the closest. And and sometimes that's actually about the fact that we've disqualified ourselves. We see this illustrated in our passage. If you've got it open, have a little look at verses 28 to 30. Here we get a little bit of interaction with David's older brother. I think Eliabab. Eliab. So Eliab is cross with David and he assumes so little of him. And he does this because he's probably already disqualified himself. He has not been willing to fight Goliath. So when his younger, punier brother turns up, offering to do it, he's cross with him. And he's cross with him partly because he's already cross with himself. And he lashes out at David really hard and he attacks David's sense of responsibility. He says, you shouldn't have left those sheep you're normally looking after. Then he attacks David's character, calling him conceited. Then he attacks David's motives, saying his heart is wicked. And finally, he attacks David's integrity, essentially saying, you're not serious, you're just here to watch the fight. It's interesting how personal criticism uh, reveals our real motives. And David's motives here are revealed. He responds absolutely beautifully to his brother, In verse 30, we see him respond by doing absolutely nothing except turn. He just turns away from him. 
And if we're a man or woman who's going to be God's, we'll need sometimes to turn away, even from those nearest and dearest to us, in order to get on with the task God's called us to. You see, David's main concern is God's honour, and so he's focused on that. And he lets his older brother's comments wash over him, and he continues onwards. We do this when we know our identity is secure as God's loved, chosen and anointed person. David was a man after God's heart, first and foremost, because he knew that God loved him. God loves you. There is nothing you can say or do to stop God loving you. I've just told you David's epic failures. You may well have your own. They may even be worse than that. But God loves you. And as you turn your heart to him, He forgives, refreshes, and stamps his loving approval on you. So David had to to be a man after God's heart, had to understand that God loved him. The second thing he had to understand is that the private place prepares us for the public place. We see this all the time in the character of those around us, don't we? That the private place, the things we do in secret, are what prepare us for the public place. David's been anointed by Samuel in private and soon he's going to be thrown into the public arena. This battle with Goliath will mean that this young man who's lived on the periphery in the minds of the powerful will suddenly become known. And to be God's man or woman in this life, we need to understand that God will most often prepare us in the private places and in the periphery. David has befriended God as he carried out his simple job as a shepherd, as he learnt to worship God in quiet places, to talk with God through the normal plod-plodding of everyday life. It's in the everyday ploddingness of life that God prepares us ready to be used in those more spectacular moments as he chooses. And in the private places, David has already fought the battles. He's already dealt with his fears. He's already come to understand who God is. And so we read in verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. This verse reveals so much. Firstly, we see how David in the private, in the quiet places has already had to fight. Yes, he's fought lions and bears to protect the sheep. But we also see that his confidence in God is something that's been birthed in that quiet, private place. So confident is he of who God is that he knows without a shadow of a doubt that because this Philistine is defying the name of God, God will not have it. And so confident is he in who God is that he goes for it. 
And so we find him understanding in the private place how God has trained him. Thirdly and finally, to be a man or woman after God's heart, we need to be firstly concerned about God's name. This, I think, challenged me the most as I was preparing this talk, as I asked myself, are you primarily concerned for the honour and reputation of God's name? Do you know the first concern of Christ in the Lord's Prayer? How does the Lord's Prayer go? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Christ's first concern in the Lord's Prayer is that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be honoured. And as you read through this chapter, littered almost across the whole of it, we see that this is David's first concern too, that this is David's priority. And this, this morning, is our challenge. You see, in verses 4 to 8 of the chapter, we've seen how enormous Goliath was. We've stretched out our tape measure. And David, at this point, is going between his brothers and his father, bringing um, supplies into the army, into the camp. And in verse 26, instead of being afraid of Goliath, he's outraged that this Philistine should be defying the army of God and mocking God's people. And so concerned is he for the honour of God's name that fear disappears. And instead of fear, he's outraged. And you know what? And sometimes instead of being afraid of those around us and what they say about God, actually are we outraged when God's name is not being honoured? And you see, whilst everyone else in God's army is looking around horizontally, they're just seeing the things before them. Do you remember me on that stepladder a few weeks ago? You know, and your view is just looking around horizontally. And as you look around horizontally, all you can see is Goliath's thighs. And he just looks enormous. He's insurmountable. And your faith begins to diminish. And the whole of God's people right at this moment have become complete atheists. As fear has overtaken them. And one man, one man chooses instead to look vertically. And as David looks up to God, he realises the absolute truth that one plus God... going to destroy anything it's interesting we see in the passage as well that we we hear of you know Saul sort of says well if anyone does go and fight um this Philistine I'll like give you um some money you won't have to pay taxes you can marry one of my beautiful daughters and he tries to like coax somebody please somebody stand up and fight this Philistine so he offers kind of prizes and we see how even in that, David is not interested in that. He's not interested in the prizes and what he's going to get. He's purely interested in seeing God's name honoured. 
You see, as we meet our Goliaths in life, and it will be different for all of us, we can have a tendency to forget God's past faithfulness. It is costly to obey God, but we must remember to look vertically to who God is and be concerned for his name. And so David bends down and he takes five tiny stones. Theologians have thought these five stones represent all kinds of things. Folks, I just think he picked up five stones. And then he runs towards the giant. He doesn't wait. He doesn't walk. There's no fear. There's no double thinking this. He absolutely knows that God's name and honor is at stake. And whatever happens, he's going to fight. And God's somehow going to have this. And so he runs. And Goliath curses David. And David contends for the name of the living God. And now the fight is completely weighted towards David because he is fighting for the name of the living God for whom a giant is but the tiniest... What's the tiniest thing in in all the earth? I forgot to look it up. It's not an atom anymore, is it? The tiniest, tiniest thing is that giant to the almighty God. And wham! In an absolutely miraculous shot, that one stone manages to get through into the tiniest bit of place that it could between the armour and leave that fatal, fatal wound. We will make and face, sorry, face many giants on this earth. Because actually we're surrounded by those that defy the living God all the time. And our challenge is, will we be prepared? Will we be so passionate for the honouring of God's name? That's our challenge today. I know on Friday night I was sat with people who who don't come to church and we were having a glass of wine, having a chat and stuff. And and I found we were talking about church and I came away going, but we didn't really talk about Jesus. And actually they don't know his name. And I've got this real challenge to keep working out how I begin to talk about Jesus. Because the church is a church. It's really important because it's Jesus' bride. But, but Jesus is even more important than his church. And they were defying the name of God just very subtly. And I know God loves them. And I love them. They're my friends. But I need to be really passionate for God's name. So passionate that I'll be prepared to look like a fool that I'll be prepared for anything. So if you and I want to be men and women walking around in West London after God's heart, we need to firstly understand that we're loved and chosen. We need to understand that the private place will prepare us for the public place. And some of us, quite frankly, get so busy, we need to remember to go into that private place. And thirdly, we need to understand that our first concern should be hallowed, be thy name. And just think, just think if the whole army of those Israelites had got this. And just think if all of us got this 
what God could do with us is quite amazing. Shall we pray?